Hello everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. How are you doing, Saranj? I'm doing well. How are you, Chris? Very good indeed. Very good indeed. Very excited for this one. We've been planning this for a while now. So, uh, yeah, excited to get going. For those who are listening on the webinar, thank you for turning up. I'm sure you'll be flocking through on your numbers now. So we'll wait a minute or so before kicking today's event off. For those who are listening on uh, the Tech Podcast, thank you so much for your continued support. If you haven't clicked uh, subscribe, please do so. Please do so. Okay, and for those people who are watching the event, um, again, we, we're a Nordics tech company. Yeah, we provide freelancers to some of the biggest tech companies across the Nordics, um, and you can use the QR code if you've got any needs on your team at the moment, um, and I'm pointing to that QR code now. Apart from that, uh, my name's Chris Bennett. I'm the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. Very passionate about adding value to communities, and to do that, we need incredible speakers, uh, not to big Saranch up too much. Um, today, Saranch has kindly uh, joined us to discuss how to build an awesome product. I've got some questions for Saranch uh, that we're going to go through today. But if you do have questions, feel free to pop them in the chat message on the right-hand side. Um, that's enough from me. We're going to move over to Saranch now. Um, so... Siraj, for people who don't know you, uh, could you give us uh, an introduction, please? Yes. Thanks, Chris. All right. So, so my name is Saranj Kapoor, and I work at uh, AP Molymask uh, in uh, based in Copenhagen. Uh, this is for those of you who, who do not know. Uh, uh, we call it Musk, really. We don't really use the full name of AP Molymask. Uh, so, Musk is. Uh, traditionally known as a shipping company. Uh, many people might still think of it that way, but it's far from the reality. We've, uh, over the last uh, five or six years, we have been going through a very large transformation, arguably the largest in Europe, of becoming the end-to-end -end integrator of logistics. Uh, I've, I've been part of this company now for uh, nine years, actually, today. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it's when I finished nine years, and... Uh, uh, yeah, and right now I'm uh, leading a team uh, for uh, network optimization, which is uh, essentially about how do we build uh, a transport network that is reliable and can deliver uh, uh, in, a, in a resilient and a reliable way promises to the customers. Yeah, uh, that's that's what I'm uh, doing here right now. And uh, I have a role of an engineering director, by the way. Sure, it's that Perfect. Uh, thank you so much and congratulations on being there nine years. I'm sure there will be a bigger one next year. Um, I suppose you and me spoke in depth about this topic, but why did you choose this topic? Why, why is this your passion? Yeah. So uh, I think I can, uh, I can I can explain that with using the context of Musk as a journey, uh, which I think exemplifies a lot of uh, a lot of companies out there. So, so companies that have you know, uh, that have been born before the internet era, uh, they have a very different nature as compared to companies that have been born after the internet. Uh, essentially, what it means is organizations that are not digital first. Technology has historically been looked at as a cost center. 
in in organizations like like these uh, large industrial organizations and uh, and the role of technology has only really started to come in forefront in the last last decade i would say uh, and significantly accelerated over uh, over the last two years during during the pandemic as it as it has been in many other industries the the reason i'm passionate about building products and i and i think for just just to be very very clear in case in case somebody's uh, still wondering for context we're only talking software products here right so so the reason i'm passionate about building software products and and good software products is because the the evolution of technology and the digital transformation of industries like this is absolutely anchored in our ability to deliver these high quality softwares businesses can no longer scale only by adding assets only by adding more people to to the business the way for the businesses to scale is if we use the strength of digital and this is where the the uh, software product delivery comes into play and building good software products is the differentiator it's in many cases it's also just necessity it's what consumers like you and i expect today uh, from the market we expect a digital transaction for everything that we do it's exactly the same uh, in a in a business as well so uh, and that's why i think this makes a huge difference to the success of the company saranj what yeah i suppose you you mentioned at the start then your role what what excites you about your role at the moment uh, that is in fitting with uh, today's topic yeah so 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 couple of things uh, so as i said musk is musk wasn't born digital the the opportunity that we have at musk is massive uh what i mean by that is this industry has still not gone through a complete wave of the first digital transformation as compared to people in any other industry like banking or healthcare finance other financial services telecommunication uh they've they've gone through a wave waves of digital transformation and now sort of going through the next this industry is still doing business on paper physically uh so the opportunity to be able to to use technology to transform the industry is just massive secondly as i said musk is musk is now an integrated logistics company there is no company out there in the world that has similar portfolio such a business model does not exist so we are creating a completely new type of a company a completely new business model that simply does not exist so which means the opportunity to learn grow is massive uh that also means that it comes with a bit of a pain because we don't know exactly how to get there because there is no there is no path uh, that's been set by anyone so we're discovering that as we go but it's uh, it's just absolutely massive to be able to work on scale of transformation that that we're undertaking how over the last let's say 3 or 4 years has your approach to product development and innovation changed uh massively uh so uh if i if i go back about about a, let's say 2015 14 period uh in and about that time majority of the work that we used to do was doing projects so where we would identify opportunities where technology could make a difference wrap it around in a project deliver it and then move to the next the 
the shift from a project to a product mindset has been massive for most. Uh, and it's and, and, and I can illustrate that with examples. So, firstly, I think what it principally means is that we are focused on creating value for the customer. That, to me, is the biggest element of the product mindset. With project, the, the focus has been in trying to deliver something that we can optimize for ourselves and, and then create value for the customers along with it. Uh, and that product mindset shift has has come in and mask in a in a big way. A couple of other examples I can I can give of that. So now one of the most cliche thing in software industry is this concept of agile and agile transformation. And everybody's doing it and has been doing it forever and still keeps doing it. Uh, to me the, the the concept of agile transformation and being agile isn't limited to software delivery because that's that we as Musk got to it many years ago. Many companies have already got to it. The, the reason why why it's different now is because we do agile at an enterprise level, where the decisions that our executives are making are with that mindset, where we are ready to experiment a lot more, where we are ready to try out things and review them with executives uh, on a quarterly basis and, and see if our ideas and if our tests are proving value or not, and if not, we pivot. Unlike in a project model where you fund projects for a year and then you come out of the other side of the year and review was it a good idea or not. And generally you can come up with a good enough argument on why it should be funded for another year. And most often the argument is we've already spent a year on it. Everything, if we stop now, it's sunk costs and it's continued. And then another year rolls and another year. So so that nimbleness in the organization, I think that's that's been another big change in, uh, in the way we do product development. And for those people listening today who are hearing you saying, listen, we're still looking to iterate, we're still looking to do it at speed, um, make mistakes and learn from them. What's that like on an enterprise level? And not only just an enterprise level, a Mersk level. Yep. Well, uh, so, so it's exactly as I said. We, we use this uh, uh, model... Uh, quite inspired from Amazon of working backwards, which is uh, essentially trying to set a goal for for ourselves of what should we as an enterprise achieve uh, for the year, and then work backwards from there of what are the what are the capabilities we will need to build new or advance existing capabilities in order to get to those goals. Break that down into quarterly milestones across the enterprise, and then review them on a on a regular basis. And if there are, uh, uh, and if the, and we look for proof points all along, uh, uh, decisions should be based on data rather than people's institutional knowledge. Now I say all of this, but I must also uh, be humble enough to to accept that this does not mean that that we do all of this right. What I'm really trying to lay out is this is the direction in which we are going. We have a lot of years of legacy, not just from a tech perspective, but from a culture perspective, also from the ways of working perspective, that needs to be undone to be able to operate this way. And that's happening. If I look back every year, and if I consider, have we moved significantly forward in that direction of transformation? The answer is yes. Have we, have we been, uh, have, has it been a smooth year where everybody has been aligned every step of the way? Probably not. It's it's unexpected for us to to have an organization of hundred thousand plus people that is hundred percent aligned every step of the way. It's just not possible. 
But directionally, we are moving forward in the right way. We, we probably didn't discuss this at the start, but for people listening now, yeah, who don't know Maersk or don't know where Maersk are now, or even think they know who Maersk are, yeah, talk us through the size of this tech team that you've got. You and me were discussing this last week in Copenhagen. Yeah, yeah it's a, it's a, it's a good question, and it kind of links to 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 the your earlier question as well on how the journey for Musk has been. Uh, so up until, and if I again go back five or six years, the way technology was used, as I was referencing, it was looked at as a cost center in the company, which essentially means a lot of our technology was outsourced. Uh, because it it was needed as a as something that you need in order to run a company of this size. You cannot do everything uh, on pen and paper. You cannot do run everything by by humans. So you need technology. But what's the cheapest cost of operating that technology was sort of the driving factor. That has changed massively. So technology is uh, is now a differentiator. The way it manifests in terms of back coming to your question in terms of the size of the organization. About uh, 75 to 80% of our technology workforce was outsourced about five or six years. The ratio is exactly the opposite now, where we have built internal capabilities, where we, are, where we look at technology as a differentiator. We look at long-standing teams and invest in them, building those product teams, as I was talking about. Uh, in terms of numbers, what that means is we are we are an organization of uh, close to 6,000 people working in technology uh, as full-time employees of Musk. Uh, this number was two and a half years back, about 1,800. So we have massively invested in this space over the last three to four years and grown significantly. I, I must also say that uh, it's not the number in, in itself that's the impressive part. That's just an indication of the amount of commitment and investment we have all the way from the board. It's the way the teams are structured and then the way the teams are empowered that that really makes the difference of creating truly long-standing empowered teams, giving them accountability. The other thing is uh, is 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 then bringing in other factors into it. For example, putting in the right location strategy. How do we, if you want to grow with this number, how do we grow? What kind of market uh, that we want to tap into and what kind of talent do we want to tap into? making sure we have a direction in terms of our architecture in place at an enterprise scale, not just a reflection of what we have, which is typically what many companies do. It's a retrospective reflection done on what you already have rather than a proactive uh, approach on the architecture that you've envisioned for the company for the next five to 10 years. Uh, so we needed to put that in place to also know what kind of technology we need in place, what then Based on that, what kind of talent do we need in place? So a lot needed to be done to get there. And that's been uh, a continuous effort. And can you see the difference in the type of talent you hired eight, seven years ago yeah. to the type of talent you're hiring now? And the yeah. second, how important is that for you to be able to build amazing products? Yeah. So... So the short answer is it's hugely important. Uh, so uh, again, let me exemplify this. The talent when that we used to hire five, seven years ago was largely project managers, business analysts, architects, test managers, uh, and a few engineers, not that many, few. The reason for doing that was because, as I said earlier, technology was outsourced. 
So what we really needed was people who could work as a bridge between business and and the vendor and technology organizations sort of play that. Uh, if you if you look at it now, it's out of the six thousand workforce that I talked about, vast majority are engineers. We do not have uh, this concept of working as bridge between business and technology uh, anymore because it's not just uh, it's not just the technology organization that has matured. It's the whole enterprise that has that has become significantly more uh, aligned to the role of technology in the company, which means our business is becoming more and more tech-enabled and tech-savvy. We don't need these bridges anymore. Again, an example of that, we have product management organization at Musk. That was not a concept before 2020. That concept is has come into Musk in the last two and a half years. That does not mean we did not have product managers in the past. But they were sporadic, spread some few within technology organization incubating uh, that capability, and a few in the business, but they, it wasn't a, a discipline at Musk. We now have an organized, a significant organization of product managers coming from tech-first companies, knowing how to build software products, and then, uh, and then working together with engineers and designers so the so the classic combination of an engineer product manager and a designer coming together in order to build the software products and those product managers are in the business so uh, so it's not just a technology transformation is not just of the technology organization it's of the whole company could you give us some insights or some examples in some uh, into some of the uh, products or projects that you have been working on yeah uh, so there have been there have been many as I said I've been here nine years so so that, that so there've been many I'm, I'm going to pick a couple of them uh, and this is probably also to illustrate the point around the the, the the kind of transformation we've gone through with Musk but also for the industry uh, so the first one is about uh, digitizing the entire booking experience for our customers now let's again go back in time. Uh, 2014-15, uh, the way we would do bookings uh, and the, or the customers would book with us is they would get onto a website, they'll fill out a form, it'll send, the form will go as an email to someone who will then manually pick that up and then turn it around into a confirmation, which would take anything between two hours to two days. Now, if, if you go back in your personal life, you were probably making orders on Amazon or likes of that in your personal life back then when you book something or an airline let's take that as an example when you book an airline ticket you expect that when you finish the process of booking it you get the confirmation right away you don't wait for two days to get a confirmation if you if it came through that's that's where the industry was so we built the the capability of digitizing that entire experience and turning booking into a self-service for the customer exactly like how you would experience with an airline uh, that was an industry first. Uh, that was a that was an initiative that uh, that I was leading, uh, and we were the first one in the industry to deliver that. And uh, it was quite a, it was actually quite a big milestone of our digital transformation as a company. Uh, there have been many uh, since, so so it's hard to pick just one or two. Uh, I'm, I'm probably just going to pick one of the more recent ones uh, that we're working on, and it's still in the uh, uh, in the early phases, but it, I think it's again exemplifies where we're going. It's again one of the industry first that I'm going to pick up, where we are 
moving away from the way we give promise to the customer of when can they expect to get their cargo. Uh, so today, typically the promise is given based on when when we know that this is the this is the ship on which the cargo is going to move. So we tell the customers the ship is going to arrive this time. So that's when you should expect to get your cargo. That's not necessarily the same uh, as what happens in the real world. Because contingency has happened, container moves from one ship to the other ship, and our promises break. So we are moving away from this concept of giving customers uh, promises based on when the ship is going to arrive to actually considering all factors included when the cargo is is going to arrive. Uh, it's it's quite a complex thing to work on because it requires a significant amount of uh, organizational alignment, but more importantly, it needs change management in the industry the way the rest of the industry works as well. And that's what we're working on right now. So so it uses uh, some machine learning algorithms in order to come up with the best answer for specifically for knowing who you are, your personalized, your personalized experience as a customer, and then when can we give you a confirmation. We never would differentiate earlier based on a customer, on knowing their personal requirements. So those are the factors that we're starting to put in and create truly a personalized experience for our customers. Okay. Just, just... Yeah, just just going back to your previous point, uh, the 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 first project you were talking about, you mentioned the airline, but where did that inspiration to create that kind of one click experience come from? Yeah, uh, I I remembered quite distinctly. Uh, I think it was two thousand and fourteen. Uh, our CEO back then, uh, he and I don't know where his inspiration came from, but he made he made he made quite a statement internally but also externally and he said that I want to be able to deliver an airline like one click booking experience for our customers that's that's what most will do that really was the inspiration and that's uh, and to some extent probably also the command from the CEO as well and uh, and uh, that's that's the idea that we got and it, that idea and then turn that into a product was absolutely a refreshing experience and uh one of the great things about that experience, which is probably also now a point of, about the culture at most, is that we were given a problem to solve. Mm. And uh, by the CEO of the company, now it's amazingly empowering for a team when you just given a problem to solve and then now you need to go figure on how you're going to solve that problem. The teams really energize around that. This is another big change culturally that we, that we are going through at Musk is stop giving solutions to the teams. A lot of times, senior leaders, customers would come and tell you, this is what I want you to do. Uh, the tonality of the conversation at Musk hasn't changed completely, but it's changing to what is the problem that you want to solve? And then let an empowered product team figure out on how to solve that problem. So I think that change is... Uh, this is quite important to be a successful product organization. With these, like you said, these these successful products, yeah. Uh, can you talk us through? And you briefly mentioned it. But you can talk us through some of the examples of the engineering culture and the differences now, and maybe from the perspective of a software engineer, what's it like to work there? Yep. Yep. So uh, there are there are many things again in this context as well. So. The, what we what we're moving towards is so firstly if i talk engineering culture and we we really like to talk about the engineering culture not only in context of 
being a developer, software developer, but a problem solver. That's uh, our CIO often talks about our engineering culture in those terms as well. That it's about solving problems. If you are solving problems, if you have that analytical approach, that is reflecting of the engineering culture. That does not that does not mean that culture exists only in the technology organization. It can exist anywhere. And so so that's why I want to separate the engineering culture for what uh, what does the life of a software engineer looks at at, at most. If I talk about the experience of, of an engineer uh, at Musk or a software engineer at Musk, it's firstly, it's significantly better than it has ever been. Uh, we are heavily focused on how do we empower our engineers to be able to make free choices on the technologies that they want to use. Now, that's it's not just a simple case of come in and see what would you like the best. Uh, uh, out of all the buffet of technology services out there and then pick the one that you like the most. That's not what it's about. What it's about is, do we have an architecture in which we can separate the choices of the impact of the outcome to the technology, which means that multiple teams can be working on the same outcome but can use different technology. Or not the same outcome but contributing to the same outcome but can use different technologies. Now, this is where you use containerized applications, you use microservices, and then creating an infrastructure as an organization that allows you to do that at scale. Uh, and and we do that now. In We still have a lot of legacy because we are an old organization. Uh, but where we have modern stack, we people come in and if you're building a new product using modern stack, we have teams that are, that are deploying five, ten times a day as well. Uh, we also have legacy where people are making changes only twice a year, but that's for good reason. Sometimes this change management is, is complex. But we've reached a point where it's it's quite given that if you're working on uh, on anything new, it's very likely that you're going to find yourself surrounded by a support system and an infrastructure that allows you to be able to deploy whenever you need, as many times as you want, decouple uh, the business services from the way you do the deployment and sort of maintain that abstraction and separation for high availability. Uh, in terms of developer experience, small things matter. What kind of equipment is made available for a, for a developer? It's uh, do you do you really are you really supported with, for example, the best computers uh, that might be out there with with high degree of processing power? All of these things were difficult in the past because because. Uh, we needed to go through these phases. The way the way uh, a software developer would get an equipment uh, for a computer in the past would be exactly the same as somebody in the business who's probably spending the whole day working on an Excel sheet on an email, because we didn't have a differentiation that software developers have a different need as compared to other people in the business. Uh, all of that new culture, new processes, policies they needed to be created in order for for us to be able to move to that phase. So uh, again, we, we're, we're not where we need to be. It still takes an engineer to come into Musk and at least a week, sometimes two, in order to be able to check in your first code. Where we want to be is you come in, within, within a matter of minutes, you could be up and running. We're creating uh, what we call as a Musk developer platform, which, which is going to create a high level of automation for our engineers to, to come in and you're able to start to to get going almost immediately. If you have, uh, if you can be assigned a story or you pick a story that you think you can work on, 
you should be able to get go from day one. That's where we want to be. Today it takes a couple of weeks. If I go back five, seven years, that could be months. How confident are you that you've got the right culture and the right people to make that happen ASAP? So uh, I think culture is uh, is the one that's probably hardest to measure. Uh, so, uh, but but again, if I use where we are going with the journey, the amount of new capabilities and new features we are able to to ship out every year is exponentially increasing. To me, that's a signal value that we are, we're building the right culture, that we are unblocking the teams and the teams are empowered in order to be able to deliver. Uh, we also do important things like measuring the engagement of the teams as well, making sure that the teams are uh, the teams have the right support system and then putting in uh, corrective actions uh, if and when there is a need for uh, driving specific actions around improving teams engagement uh yeah i think uh, i think that's that one thing in terms of having the right people uh lots of things have been done like i said we've, we've massively increased the workforce we've put in the right the right location strategy in place we've, like i said it's the architecture, the target architecture that defines what kind of capabilities we will need from a tech perspective and therefore what kind of talent we'll need. So then when we're going after that targeted talent, uh, and that's not just in technology alone, like I said earlier, also in the business, also in the product organization. Uh, our, a lot of our executive leadership uh, team right now is a lot more equipped uh, from from a tech perspective, then again, if I go back many years, uh, a lot of our senior leaders in the company are coming from tech first companies, and I don't mm. mean technology. I also mean in the business as well. So uh, so there is a there is a radical shift in at all levels in the company of the kind of kind kind of people we need, we are bringing in in the company and truly transforming the company to be uh, to be tech driven. It sounds exciting. It is. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what is. One of the points that I was thinking earlier, there's quite a lot of studies and quite a lot of um, success stories of people signifying the points of diverse, equality, inclusion, um, and how that actually drives the success of products. Can yeah. you give me kind of your thoughts around this area and kind of your experience with Immersc? Yeah. So, uh, so firstly, uh, I think it's it's hugely important. Uh, let me take actually one of the most recent examples of how seriously we take uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in the in the organization. Actually, two examples. It was only last year that we included the E in DNI. So, so because up until then our focus was DNI, E the equity part came in last year. And it's not because it was we were just too slow off the curve. It's just there's been so much focus, and we're, we're plugging in all the white spaces in our in our thinking and in our culture and and in our processes of how do we think about uh, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. The most recent example is we've uh, we've recently gone through a reorganization across the company. We've uh, our CEO. Uh, Sarinsko, who's been leading and driving the transformation of the company uh, to be this integrated logistics company. Uh, he retired in December and we have a new CEO. 
and uh, and he's come in and he's uh, he's had different thoughts around how he wants to set up the organization and his leadership team. It's it's a fairly big leadership team, uh, bigger than generally you would see. Uh, there are uh, a CEO has 15 direct reports in that leadership team, so quite a big executive leadership team. It's 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 one of the key factors that's gone in is diversity. This is the most diverse executive leadership team that you will by far see across any industry, across any company. Uh, in terms of culture, in terms of their nationalities, in terms of gender, in terms of what kind of industries they come from, in terms of their tenure at Musk, all factors included. It's the most diverse uh, executive leadership team, pr uh, probably the most across all sectors uh, and across all geographies. That is just a big signal value for how important the diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion is. In terms of uh, the link back to the innovation, I've, I've seen firsthand many examples uh, uh, of the value that that drives. If I look at right now my own team, I uh, uh, in my team, I have, I have six people in my leadership team, uh, so seven including me. Six nationalities, diverse on gender, diverse on again most tenure, diverse on what kind of industries people come from. Uh, the kind of debate and discussion that generates is is massive because people have different perspectives, and and if you then empower them to be able to share those different perspectives without and feeling that psychological safety to be able to share what they want, that gives you then an opportunity to debate and improve, and. It's the daily continuous improvement at a team level that really makes the difference. We've seen examples of of how uh, diverse teams are able to deliver products significantly faster. Uh, and it's again, it's and it's diversity of thought that really matters. Uh, the example that I just talked about, uh, uh, where we delivered this thing around uh, the cargo arrival, uh, the team that's delivered that hugely diverse team. Again, in all in all fractions, uh, not just not just gender diversity, but in all fractions, uh, massive piece of work done extremely fast. We had the first version out in six weeks, so that's unlike Musk in the past. That's unlike most companies of our size and of our scale. So, so yeah, it's a huge topic. Just looking at some of the questions that are coming in, um, I've got a question here. When working to a tight deadline, how do you ensure that the product is delivered on time without sacrificing quality? Oh, it's the classic golden triangle, right? So, what do you optimize for? Uh, you have cost, you have uh, you have timeline as well. So, uh, okay, uh, I I'll tell you my own perspective. Mm. You cannot optimize this for every delivery. You you will have to pick what is the what factor do you put the most weight on? The way we can optimize for cost and timeline and quality at the same time is taking all those three factors in your culture, in your day-to-day -day work. It's the only thing you optimize for all three. If you build a if you build a strong team and a culture where your software your software quality and you, you measure your engineering excellence. You you look at, you use, there are, there are so many frameworks out there. Pick any. But you use, for example, you could use Dora, for example. Uh, 
and and you use them on a regular basis as a measure for the team and you can improve on them continuous over a period over a period of time if you look at uh, for example cost that's that's pretty straightforward generally to optimize on uh, if you look at timeline that's about measuring your throughput through your velocity or other metrics you need to continuously work on all of these metrics at the same time to get better on each one of them and that's when you achieve the sweet spot on this golden triangle of cost quality and 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 then time otherwise if you're doing it in the moment for this specific deliverable you'll have to put weight on one of them then mm. there is this other okay um yeah so people first seems to be the theme in this get yeah. the right people at the right time means yeah. and i got a message from Kanye. um aside from cost um how uh wait here we got aside from cost what was the biggest motivator relinquishing your reliance on outsourcing tech and i think that was to your previous comment about six seven years ago yeah uh to be honest I don't think cost was the was the was the big reason for why we wanted to move away from uh, from outsource. The reason we we wanted to insource is because technology was critical to our strategy and is is critical to our strategy. So the differentiation that we create is massive with technology. So so we are in we are in like I said we are the uh now the integrated logistics so which has multiple components in it there is the ocean shipping component there is the logistics uh component as well uh now if i just talk about ocean for a second it's a very low margin business uh with 2 to 3% is generally uh the, the margin that that you can operate in this in this industry uh and a lot of this business is commoditized what that means is that an offering from one shipping carrier to another shipping carrier hasn't really differentiated where the differentiation comes in is the the, the quality of the service that you deliver now you cannot deliver a high quality service if the core of that is going to be your technology because that's that's what will give you for example feedback into how your performance is and how can you continuously improve looking at signals of what's happening uh, right now what what predictions can you make about what kind of demand is going to come in how is it going to materialize uh, weather predictions all of those things technology is going to be the biggest driver to be able to create the differentiation it's it's almost a sin to then pass on that differentiation in the hands of a vendor you have to hold on to that differentiation if it was not the differentiator then by all means then 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 do consider uh uh going for the the cheapest possible option and in most cases that might be outsourced but for us it's not been the cost but it then it requires strong leadership what we've been able to balance off is that while we've insourced we have not we, this did not mean that we started to spend more it required strong leadership again back to my point think the architecture think location strategy think think what kind of talent pool you're looking at we insourced a significant amount keeping our technology budget at the same level and with the ambition of reducing it over over a period of time so so we essentially what it translates into we can do more with less if we have the right talent if we have the right and uh, that's what we work in i suppose the right leadership as well yeah yeah like exactly. said yeah if you've not got that backing then i suppose that process is difficult 
Um, building, uh, scaling high-performing teams. Yeah, it's a topic that a lot of people are talking about. Um, we've probably got 10, 15 minutes left anyway, so we probably can't go through it. But kind of what is your process um, when you need to scale, when you need to build a team? What, what's your process? Yeah. So uh, uh, it's different at different points in time. So when so when we've been when we've been looking to scale significantly, uh, when uh, especially during the early part of the of the scaling curve, uh, about two and a half three years ago, it was it was a lot. We needed to hire and bring in uh, quite a high amount of uh, talent in a sh- relatively short period of time. We needed to put in processes that allows allows us to be able to do. The focus has been, and and uh, to a large extent still remains, is building high talent density. It's important at a team level to create that nucleus of strong, strong team members, strong engineers, and then build around them. Uh, that gives you then the opportunity to be able to bring in people at different stages of their experience level, different stages of their career, and then take them along with you in the journey. Uh, if you if you try to build teams by I try to hire one person here and one person there. You don't know what you'll end up with. So it's it's really important to focus on that talent density in the team. Now, by talent density, I just want to clarify. I don't mean the Netflix model of talent density where everybody needs to be high performer. Otherwise, you you don't find the space in the company. That's not what it means. Uh, for us, it really is about creating the nucleus and then building around. Uh, the other thing is the point I made earlier as well. That's so. What I just spoke about is about how do you bring in good talent in the company. The other thing is, how do you now retain that talent, but also how do you get the maximum value out of that talent? If I have to make a single point about it, it's really about creating that empowered team and giving them problems to solve. There are tons of examples when a team is given a problem as compared to teams being told to do exactly this. Massive difference, both in terms of the quality, but also if you tell the team what to work on, then they try to optimize for the solution rather than optimize for the problem for the customer. And uh, and that's really the key point. If you want to build strong winning teams, you have to empower them and then give them problems to solve. How do you support? You mentioned within this, you're relying on that talent density and by sounds of it, some core people or core yep. groups of people. How do you support those people in that process? Uh, you, you mean you mean the core group? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned the only way to scale is around a, a core set of people. How do you support those core people during that process? Yeah. So, uh, so, so firstly, I just uh, want to be careful of the choice of words. So, so I, I don't mean that the people who are in this center of talent density are the core people. It's, it's who you who you use as your nucleus to build around. Every member of the team is core to the team, is core to core to the organization. Uh, in terms of support, uh, I think I think you have to pick pick the right people. Uh, so there are people who enjoy uh, s- supporting others, enjoy developing early talent as well. You need to identify that because you could take one of your strongest engineer and give them the give them the additional challenge of taking along a couple of engineers who are early in their career. And if they do not enjoy it, you will see a significant drop in their performance. So you have to also look at uh, is who you pick to to build around. Are they are they also going to enjoy this process? Of 
That's one. The second thing is we continuously and heavily invest in learning. We have uh, we have uh, academies at MERS for various factors: technology academies, commercial academies, supply chain academies. These are specialized learning groups that have been created and which make resources available unparalleled to to uh, to anything else that's out there. Uh, to be able to continuously support people who are in the company and and continuously invest in their learnings. Uh, we, of course, every organization has limitations on how much budget you put on everything, including your learning budget. But we, I have never come across a conversation that, but because of budget reasons, we will not be able to provide a learning opportunity to someone. That, uh, that, that does not happen. Uh, if, if there is... The value for learning something, you just we just need to find this. Sounds like the perfect storm, really. Massive company, good budget. Yeah, still still innovative though. We're still working in a product led way. Um, and I suppose on that note, if anyone else is thinking in what I've heard, yeah, what type of talent are you hiring now? Where you're hiring that talent, and how do people get in touch? So, uh, so I mean. I'm I'm happy for people to reach out directly uh, to me as well, but uh, uh, I think the best way to, to to look at it is is on our website. Uh, we are massively uh, hiring still uh, across multiple locations: uh, Copenhagen, the UK, uh, uh, in India. So and multiple sites in India as well. So 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 we are hiring. Uh, the kind of talent we're looking for, all sorts, uh, all sorts of engineering talent. I mean, software engineers across Java, .NET, Python, uh, data engineers, data scientists, designers. Yeah, I mean, everything. So. You hear that, everyone? You have no reasons not to get in touch. I mean, that's the only people that listen to this show. <laughs> um, perfect. Uh, Sarant, uh, you've been an absolute pleasure. Uh, I really appreciate your time today um, and thanks for coming on the show. Like I said, if you are listening to the podcast, please make sure you press subscribe. If you've been watching the webinar, um, hello and thank you. And apart from that, uh, goodbye.